Hey, hopefully you have a Bible with you and you know how to use it. Not everyone has both. But we're going to look in Hebrews chapter 12, start there and end there. We're going to look in some other passages of Scripture too. Our focus on Sunday mornings has been sins we hide. Today is bitterness, unforgiveness, and evil thoughts. Sins that we hide. I picked this out because you can't really hide like that in a box. You can't hide your sin either. But uh, you say, well, I didn't remember this series. What well, what was the sins we hide last week? Well, we didn't. It was Roger Papias, a missionary that we support, who was here with us last Sunday morning. Well, what about two weeks ago? Well, I was on vacation, and Tim uh, Pennock uh, spoke. I almost said Tim Martinez. Boy, that would be something. Next time I go, Tim Martinez. <laughs> uh, but Tim Pennock spoke two weeks ago. And it was a different mess. It was a great message, but it wasn't part of this theme. When I said different, I didn't mean, ooh, it was really different. It, it was not part of this theme. So it's been three weeks since we've been on this theme of sins that we hide. And sins that we keep on the inside, like pseudo-spirituality, where we look spiritual on the outside, but we're not on the inside. inside. And like today, bitterness, unforgiveness, evil thoughts. These don't always show up. Kathy and I had a friend. For years, we thought she was just nice and sweet and everything. And, and then we found out for years and years, she'd been harboring bitterness. And one day, she let it out and shocked everybody. It, it, it can take root in there. And so we're going to look in Scripture at bitterness, at unforgiveness, at evil thoughts. And we're going to think about how not to do those things. We don't want to just learn, well, what's bitterness like? No, we want to learn how to avoid bitterness, okay? Hebrews chapter 12, are you there? Uh, look down at verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. How many of you noticed that it rained a little bit? Yeah. What, what comes out after a good rain? Little frogs and weeds, right? Can't do much about the frogs, the weeds you try and kill. Hopefully you're not out there killing frogs. Uh, but the, the, re, the weeds come out. Where was the weed before the rain? It, it was underground. It was just a, a little root, a little seed, a little root ready to spring forth. And then the rains came. And one year, we'd had a series of rain. Kathy now sprays the yard so that doesn't happen. But uh, one year, we had a series of rains and for just a couple of weeks, monsoon. And then when it finally stopped, we had knee-high weeds all over the backyard. Man, I had to work to keep bringing her glasses of lemonade while she pulled those things out. It was terrible. Uh, but but we had weeds all over the place. So she sprays it now so that can't happen. And seriously, I do have bad allergies. So she does most of the yard work and I do the laundry. It's a, it's a deal that we worked out years ago. Uh, but, but the roots were already there. It was already there under the ground. We couldn't see it yet. And all of a sudden, boom, there it is. And that's what happens with bitterness. And when bitterness springs up, Many people get caught up in the backlash, the backwash, because 
Bitterness is contagious. It spreads. Think about two sons David had. He had a son named Amnon, and he had a son named Absalom. Amnon was David's oldest son. Absalom was his third-born son, but they had different mothers. Uh, That happens in our culture sometimes today. Amnon raped his half-sister Tamar, who was the full sister of Absalom. So you got Amnon, a son of David, who commits a horrible crime, and Absalom, a son of David, whose sister has been injured terribly. And David did nothing. The Bible says he was upset with what Amnon did, but he didn't discipline his kid. Do you think in our culture uh, there's some parents who don't discipline their kids? Yeah, we see that a lot in our culture, don't you? Well, the end result is similar to what happened in David's life. Absalom got bitter because of that. And that bitterness just stewed away. And so after a length of time, he murders his brother Amnon. And then when David didn't do anything about that, he tried to murder his father and overthrow his kingdom. And so Absalom took control and David and many fled. Hundreds of people were displaced because Absalom took over. And then they had a bloody war in which dozens and perhaps hundreds of people died. And then Absalom died before David could come back and go back to the throne. Absalom's bitterness defiled many people. And if you allow bitterness in your heart, it's going to twist your thinking. It's going to um, cause many other people to suffer. Bitterness is contagious. Now, mark your spot in Hebrews 12. We'll come back and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, we learn that not only is bitterness contagious, but kindness can be too. Ephesians 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, uh, that's just like loud, yelling, angry voices, and, and Evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So, angerness, bitterness, what do you do? You put it away from you. How many of you have ever had a rotten potato in your house? Isn't that wonderful? You wake up in the morning, you go, ah, smells like a rotten potato. No, of course not. It's bad. So what do you do? You think, oh, man. There's a rotten potato in that bunch. And when I eventually get down to it, I'll throw it out. What do you do? Yeah, dig through it. Sometimes you wash off all the other potatoes. And then you get rid of the thing. This is what you need to do with bitterness. Get rid of it. It's going to rot everything it touches. If you don't get it out of your life, you're going to mess up yourself and other people. Get rid of it. And then in verse 32, and be kind one to another. Boy, what a difference. In verse 31, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, malice, all these bad things. Verse 32, kindness, 
tenderheartedness, forgiving. One, what a transition. What a change. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has given you. So move the bitterness away. You are responsible to do that. See, this doesn't say that, oh, if Savannah gets a, a little bitter at somebody, uh, then that person has to go to Savannah and make it right. No, it says Savannah has to get rid of the bitterness in her own life, regardless of what other people do. We have to take responsibility. You move it out. And then your kindness can be contagious, too. Have you seen those commercials that used to be on it? I don't know if they still are. I don't watch many commercials. But Liberty Mutual, I think, had a series of commercials where one person would help somebody. And then a third person would see the first person helping the second person. Then they would go help somebody. And it would go on until it eventually came back to the first person helping somebody, which was kind of one of those weird uh, time warp things. But because somebody saw somebody else's kindness... They responded in kind. You know, the, uh, traffic officers will tell you that. That one car going past a car speeding can encourage that car to speed up a little bit. And then the other cars to speed up a little bit. And pretty soon they're all racing down the road. I had a friend who was a cop one time. He pulled three guys over going 95 miles an hour. Three of them just racing down the road. They thought because there was three of them they wouldn't get caught. They were wrong. But uh, we tend to base our behavior as a reflection of people around us. So if you're in the middle of people who are angry and yelling, you're, you're maybe end up angry and yelling. And if you're in a group of nice people, you may end up being nicer. That's why you should come to church. One of the reasons, you hang around nice people. And it can help you in the rest of your life. Because not only is bitterness contagious, but kindness can be too. And you need to choose to be kind. You need to cultivate a tender heart by showing compassion. Maybe you used to be one of those people who saw somebody get in trouble. They deserved it. Now you see somebody get in trouble. You think, oh, man, I feel sorry. Because the Lord is transforming your heart and life. And then the end of verse 32 says, You forgive one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You forgive other people because and in the same way that God forgives you. Why does God forgive you? Well, that's the background because he loves us. But how does God forgive you? It says right here, for Christ's sake. So, what God does when he looks at your sin, Ben, have you ever sinned? Oh, really? You're such a nice kid. It's been years, right? <laughs> hey, here's what God does. Stand up here, Ben. I picked on Jerry there today. It's your turn. God looks at Ben and sees Ben's sin. Tell us something you did that, not really bad, just some little thing that you did that you wish you had. Hit Jerry's up. Okay. God looked at Ben, and when Ben said, God, please forgive me for that sin, God said, Ben, Jesus already paid the penalty for that sin. I forgive you. 
And, and if Ben goes back and next time he kicks Jared, don't you do it. But if he did, and he asked God to forgive him, God would look at Ben and say, Ben, Jesus Christ paid the penalty for that sin. And I forgive him. See, that's how it works. God looks at you and he says, Jesus Christ paid the penalty for his sin, for her sin, for your sin. He paid the penalty for your sin. And he forgives you. So, number three. Number one, bitterness is contagious. Number two, kindness can be too. Number three, we must forgive. Take your Bibles again. Turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Now, you're going to have to answer me. I'm going to say what's going on here, and then I'm going to ask you what's next, okay? Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, if you forgive other people, then what happens? Your heavenly Father forgives you. That's what it says. And then in verse 15. If you do not forgive men, then what? Your Heavenly Father won't forgive you. Wow. Jesus told the story of a rich man who had several servants. And the rich man had one servant who was in debt to that rich man. A lot of money. A lifetime's worth of income. How the servant got that in debt, I don't know. But he was that much in debt. And he went to his owner, his master, his boss, the rich man, and he begged and he pleaded for his debt to be delayed so that he wouldn't get thrown into debtor's prison. And and he begged and he pleaded for that. And the rich man felt felt bad for him and said, okay, I'm going to forgive that debt. And then the guy whose debt was just forgiven walked over to another servant who owed him just a little bit. Say, the difference between a a lifetime salary and a day's salary. And he went to this other guy and he demanded the money be paid. And when he couldn't be paid, he demanded that guy to be put in prison and he was going to sell that guy's kids to pay for it. Aren't you glad we don't live in that culture? Uh, I'm glad that in America we have a, a thing called being able to file for bankruptcy. Uh, Some people need it uh, through no fault of their own. Their circumstances change. Some people take advantage of it. I know, but I'm still glad it's there for the people who need it. And so this guy, they didn't have that in that day. And so when the master, the rich guy found out that that servant he had forgiven was so brutal to the other guy, he changed his mind. He revoked the forgiveness. He imposed the penalty. And he put that guy in prison and told him to torture him. That's what Jesus said in the story he told. Why? Because the first guy didn't show mercy to the second guy. So the rich guy, who in the story is a symbol of God the Father, did not show mercy to the other one. Now, You do not get saved by showing kindness to other people. You do not get to go to heaven because you're kind. 
You go to heaven because you ask Jesus Christ to forgive your sins, and He does. But God blesses and enriches your life when you show mercy to other people. You don't earn salvation by being nice, but you do earn God's favor by being nice. He smiles upon His kids who are obeying well in the same way an earthly parent would smile on their kids who are obeying well. And when their kids are misbehaving on earth, we expect parents to discipline the kids, and God does the same with his kids. We must forgive. Now, 1 John 1, 9. Who can quote that part? Go ahead. Say it really loud. Okay, so if we confess our sins, who's faithful and just to forgive us? The Lord God. And cleanse us from how much? All unrighteousness. But did you notice that little word at the beginning? If. See, God does not forgive sins of those who don't admit their sin, confess their sin, and repent. God is not this genie in a bottle, pop out of the bottle, oh, forgive my sins. Okay, whoo, your sins be forgiven. It doesn't work that way. God said you have to come to him and ask him. And if you ask, if you confess your sins, confess your sinfulness, admit to your sins before God and turn away from those sins, then God will forgive all your unrighteousness. There's nothing too bad to be forgiven. But forgiveness comes after the offender requests it. Not before. God does not forgive before repentance, and neither should we. But but that's not popular Christianese. No, it's not, but it's the Word of God. We forgive when it's requested, when there's been repentance. Because Ephesians 4.32 said, You forgive others the way God forgives you. When does God forgive you? When you confess and repent, then God forgives. And that's when you forgive others, when they confess and repent. Oh, but wait, wait, wait. I know what you're thinking. What about Jesus on the cross? When Jesus was on the cross, he looked down at the very people who were crucifying him. And what what was one of the things he said? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they did. So Jesus gave Blanket forgiveness to everybody there, right? No. That's not what he did. What Jesus did was say, Father, forgive them for this. They don't understand what's going on here. See, if we were going to rewrite that in the way we think, it's written the way God thinks and expresses. If we were going to write it the way we think, we might say something like this. Father, Don't let this one sin be the sin that keeps them from being forgiven. Those people at the cross where Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They did not have a blanket, get into heaven free card. Like a, a Monopoly, get out of jail free card. They didn't have one of those cards. They still had to repent of their sins and turn from their sins. But Jesus wanted to make sure that the Father wouldn't hold that one against them because 
God the Father made us in His own image. What would a normal human father feel towards someone who put their child to death? God, Jesus Christ, wanted God the Father not to hold that one sin against them. So those very people at the cross might have ended up in hell. They might have ended up in heaven. They might have believed and trusted Christ. But that one sin was not going to be held against them. See, we have a good illustration in uh, Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4, what's the first word? I? Oh, sorry. Chapter 4 of verse 14. <laughs> that helps. What's the first word of verse 14? Alexander. Now, Paul's going to tell a story about a guy. Now, according to contemporary Christianity, Paul is not very kind, not very forgiving, and he's gossiping. But according to the Holy Spirit of God, Paul's doing the right thing. See, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou ware also, for he greatly withstood our words. So Paul's saying, hey, this guy named Alexander the coppersmith, you watch out for that guy. He has attacked us. He's been vicious toward us. And you be aware of this. Have you ever traveled around the country and there's big yellow signs that'll say, you know, beware of falling rock, beware of loose gravel, beware of whatever. One of my favorite signs ever said, beware of the bassoonist. I don't know why I like that one. Uh, if you don't know, Megan plays the bassoon. She was doing it last Sunday here. But anyway, beware. He says, beware of Alexander the coppersmith. This guy's bad news. Now, if Alexander had come to the Apostle Paul and said, Paul, I did wrong. I treated you horribly. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? And the Apostle Paul was certain that Alexander was genuine in that repentance. The Apostle Paul would have said, Alexander, I forgive you. Let me show you how Jesus can forgive all your sins. And he would have led that man to Christ. So we, in contemporary Christianity, say, you got to forgive people. you got to forgive. So if somebody treats Tim Pennock horribly, obnoxiously, viciously, Tim is never allowed to complain, never allowed to tell anybody else about it, because that would be gossip. And he absolutely must forgive that person and always be kind to him anytime he sees him. But the Bible says the appropriate thing would be for Tim to say, hey guys, watch out for that guy. He's dangerous. Stay away from him. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, Paul said, Alexander's a dangerous guy. But if he repents and confesses that sin then God's willing to forgive him, and so should we. Forgiveness comes after the offender requests it, not before. So, now, you don't want to keep bitterness in your heart, right? So if Tim gets really hurt by somebody, 
then Tim doesn't want to stay bitter at this person. He doesn't want to just soak it up and think about it. So Tim can say, God, I'm turning him over to you. I'm leaving that with you. And if I see him, I'm not going to attack him. I'm going to stay away from him if I can. But I'm leaving that with you, God. And God, please let me get beyond this. But he doesn't go up to uh, Alexander. Let's use Alexander the coppersmith. Tim would not walk up to Alexander the coppersmith and say, listen, I've allowed bitterness in my heart. Please forgive me of my bitterness. And I forgive you for what you sinned against me. That's not what the Bible says. That's what contemporary pop Christianity says. That's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says forgiveness comes after confession and repentance. Now, if I asked you to raise your hand, and I'm not going to, please do not raise your hand. But if I asked you to raise your hand of anybody in this room who's been hurt by somebody else who claimed to be a Christian, probably every hand in this room could go up. If it couldn't, give it time, it will. Okay? We don't grow bitter, but we don't run around throwing forgiveness out there. The Catholic Church tried that as a fundraiser. They gave forgiveness in advance. They sold indulgences. And you could buy an indulgence and then go sin and your sin was pre-forgiven. It was a great fundraiser. But it was not of God. So forgiveness comes after confession and repentance. But we must forgive. Turn to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark. A couple more terms. Mark chapter 7. Okay? So we get in the right chapter this time. That helps. Mark chapter 7. All right, here's, a, here's a real brain stretcher for you. You ready for this? You got to listen. You got to pay attention. This could really stretch your brain. Ready? Evil thoughts are evil. Whoa. Have you thought about that? Evil thoughts are evil. Yeah, let's look. Mark chapter 7, verse 20. And Jesus said, That which cometh out of a man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye. Blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile a man. So here's what the Lord Jesus said. If you have a red letter edition, most of that was in red. Beyond the end, he said it was in red. Jesus was talking and Jesus said, what's going on on the inside of you can defile you. Not what's going on on the outside. See, the story was his disciples had eaten without washing their hands. It's a little healthier to wash your hands first, but they were in their circumstance. They were hungry. They just ate, and they didn't. I don't know if you've ever been in places where you can't wash your hands. How does a guy wash his hands when there's no soap and water around? What do you do, guys? That, that's especially if you're wearing blue jeans. They're washed, right? That's as good as it's going to get. And then you pray, Lord, please don't let there be germs. Go ahead. But his disciples ate without going through the ceremonial hand-washing process. And so they criticized them, and Jesus said, listen, it's 
better, I mean, it's not as bad to eat, say, unwashed fruit with all the pesticides they spray on them. It's better to eat that than it would be to allow that bad stuff on the inside of you. You have to deal with the inside. In 1847, Dr. Ignace Philippe Semmels, you know the guy, Dr. S, okay, Dr. S. He proposed that patients would thrive if servants would, surgeons would just wash their hands before surgery. It outraged the medical community. They refused to do that. See, what a surgeon would do, he would come out of surgery, and he'd take a towel, and he'd wipe off his hands and get as much of the blood off as he could, and then he'd go right into surgery on the next person. Cross-contamination was rampant. Most women who had their babies born in the hospital died. Babies and their moms. It was safer. In, in those days, you went to the hospital only if you were dying. Because if you weren't already dying, going to the hospital would probably help it along. And Dr. S had this idea that if we just washed, that if we get rid of those germs, but it didn't take off. In fact, it was years later, after he was dead, a guy named Pasteur, you've heard his name, Louis Pasteur, he proposed germ theory, and he understood the concept that germs are contagious and that washing your hands, disinfecting your hands before working on somebody in surgery or, or helping a woman have a baby or whatever, that that makes all the difference in the world. And it helped reduce the deaths significantly. Well, Christians can be guilty of contaminated hands. We wipe off the outside, but we don't correct the inside. We also establish a grading scale of evil. Should have had this ready. It's easier with playing cards, you know that? Card stock would have been ready, but easier. What I'm trying to do is get this paper where you guys can see the color difference. Okay? Does that work? Do you see the color differences? Okay, I'm glad you do. I, I asked Savannah and Clorinda before church if I could get these in order from the lightest to the darkest. So if you disagree with that order, it makes no difference to me. But Saranna's going to come after this. Uh, okay? So, here's the light. All right. This is what we do with sin, right? This is no sin at all. Okay? What would this be? Yeah, something like murder or child abuse or rape. Uh, what, what would this be? Robbery, theft, armed robbery maybe. What would this be? Uh, what'd you say, man? Steal a cookie. That's not wrong, is it? Um, uh, little white lie, Charlie said. See, we have this grading scale, don't we? So where does evil start? Whoa, whoa. That is evil. And we'll rant and rave against that. We'll hold crusades against that. And we'll just hate evil, right? Oh, but see, this... This one, this isn't really evil. This is just inappropriate. 
This is just a little indiscretion. This is not evil. Oh, no, no, no. This is what evil looks like. This is not evil. Now, you want to know something really weird to me? These look the same. But anyway. This is the white one, right? Okay. <laughs> I don't remember what I picked them up. Okay. So, in our definition, this is not evil. It's just not as good as this. In God's definition, what is this? Evil. Evil. Why? Because God has no darkness at all. He doesn't have the shadow of turning. We, on the other hand, we live in a world of shadows. This is not evil. All of these are evil. Evil thoughts are evil. They're not just thoughts. So, um, I had a, a bad thought toward somebody years ago. When I was a business manager, it was a guy, it was a very strange relationship that we had. For part of our relationship, I was his boss. For part of our relationship, we were peers. And for part of our relationship, he was my boss. It depended on what we were working on and at what time. And it was really weird, harder on him than it was on me. But um, there was a time when we were arguing over something in an area where we were peers. And I was certain I was right. And I wanted him to conform to what I wanted. And he was certain he was right. And he wanted me to conform. But it was that situation where neither one of us had authority over the other one. And, and I just got really angry on the inside. And I wanted to hurt him. But I didn't. I let it go. And I left. And I got home. And I felt very good about myself. You know why? Because I wanted to hurt him. And I could have. I was fairly new out of the Marine Corps. I knew how to hurt people. And, and I didn't hurt him. And I felt very good about myself. Because I thought about it, but I didn't do it. And you know what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? If you look on a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. If you have hatred or significant anger toward a man, it's as if you've already murdered him. And I'm looking at my Bible and Jesus is saying, because you were so angry with him, I'm looking on you as a murderer. And I'm thinking, I did great, you know. Where's that one? That's the right one. I'm thinking, I did great because I didn't hurt him. And Jesus said, this is the standard I want. I don't want you to just avoid killing somebody or avoid hurting somebody. I want you to avoid hating somebody. Change your thoughts. Change your life. What goes on on the inside is what defiles us. That's where the root of bitterness is. Before it ever comes out, you're already defiled on the inside. 
Turn, please, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and then we'll go back to Hebrews. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. <laughs> What's the first word? I. Okay. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you, here's what you need to do, present your bodies. This is something he's saying plural. This is to a group of people. Hey, all of you here, I want you to present your bodies. Or as they'd say where Kathy Bird grew up, all y'all need to do this, okay? You present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Roger was talking about this last Sunday morning, that we need to not conform on the outside. We need to transform on the inside. Jesus said it's what goes on the inside that's going to defile you or not defile you. You need to change your thoughts, change your life. And so here he says, commit to God. Change your thoughts and stand out from the world. They've done all kinds of studies and, and what do you, my brain won't come up with a word, surveys. They've done all kinds of surveys uh, on college campuses and in other places today. And they surveyed whole groups of people. So in their test group, they'd say like, like this group would be Christians and all these people would not be Christians. And then they test their value systems against each other. And they came up with a statistical equality. Meaning, on average, the Christians had the same values as the non-Christians. So, if you weren't really sick, but didn't want to go to work, and you're, some companies allow personal days off, some don't. So if you're working for a company that allows no personal days off, to get a day off, you have to be sick, and you call in sick, and you're not sick? That's wrong. But the Christians... And the non-Christians thought it was just fine. <laughs> One of my favorite comics when I was a business manager <laughs> was a guy standing, he's wearing his fishing coat, you know, his hip waiter's got his tackle box and his fly rod there. He's locking his front door and somebody comes up behind him. I know you're sick in bed, but we need the keys to the file cabinet. <laughs> he was going fishing. Okay, that's wrong. And Christians are not supposed to blend in with the world. They're supposed to stand out from the world. Now, one last turn back to Hebrews. I said we were going to start in Hebrews 12. We were going to end in Hebrews 12. <coughs> Here's the heart of it. You've got to focus your heart. Focus what you're looking on. Hebrews 12 Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Sounds kind of like later in this chapter where he says, move uh, that root of bitterness, get it away from you, like what Paul said in Ephesians, to get that away, move it away from your life. Uh, so let us lay aside every sin and 
or every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Verse 2. Looking where? Unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the Father. Looking unto Jesus. See, that's one of the problems in contemporary Christianity. Those where the Christians have the same values as the non-Christians, they're not looking to Jesus. They're not focusing on Him. They're not trying to become more like Him, to be conformable to the image of God's Son, as Romans 8.29 says. They're not trying to become more like Christ. They're trying to blend in with the world. And the Bible says we shouldn't. And so within churches, we have bitterness and wrath and clamor and gossip and all kinds of things going on that should never show up in the church because the Christians are supposed to be moving that out. And all of us together are supposed to be presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. This is not joy club. This is not uh, the Christianity social club. Welcome to the victory hour where we have fun in Jesus. But that's not what this is. Is there fun? Yeah. But we're focusing on, looking toward Jesus Christ. Now, when you're comparing standards, it makes a big difference. <laughs> I got to tell you a bad thing I did to somebody. We were working on a wall. <laughs> I put a piece of metal a big piece of metal behind the wall. And then he had a, a plumb, or I put a big magnet behind the wall. He had a plumb line that was string with a piece of metal on the bottom. And he goes up to see if that wall is straight. And it wasn't. And he's really freaking out. And then he gets his um, level, thank you, got the level out there, and the wall looks pretty level. He goes up and down, and he holds the plumb line out, and it just swings toward the wall. And he was really frustrated. And, and then I moved the magnet. And then he was still frustrated, just no longer with the magnet. But, <laughs> but he was looking at the wrong thing. He was looking at something being drawn away. And we have believers doing the same thing today. They're looking at the world. They're focusing on how can they be more comfortable in retirement Instead of how can they do something for Jesus in the time they have left to make a difference, they'll be glad they did when they're in glory. Nobody's going to be in heaven saying, man, I wish I spent more time on the golf course. Nothing wrong with golfing. I happen to be lousy at it, so therefore it's evil. No, I, I don't golf. I've never wanted to golf. Uh, but nothing wrong with it. But if you live to golf, there's something wrong with it. If you are not doing something to serve Jesus Christ, there's not just something wrong with that. There's something wrong with you. You need to change. You say, well, I can't do much. Okay, do what you can. You can't do what you used to do. Do what you can. Honestly, for years, I didn't exercise because I couldn't do it the way I used to like it. And then it finally dawned on me, I'm only hurting myself. I can exercise a little bit, which is better than the lot. I'm not as good as the lot I used to do, but better than the nothing I've been doing. Do what you can. Follow Christ. 
Change the inside. Change your thoughts. Change your life. Do not allow bitterness to spring up. Do not allow evil thoughts to take root and come out. What comes out of you, what starts on the inside and works its way out, that's what defiles you. Change your heart. Look again to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Don't settle for what this world does. This world says, you know, any of these are okay, just don't do that. Any other color is okay. You say, no, I'm going to compare my life to Jesus Christ. And this is the one I'm going to go for. And anything less, I realize I need to correct. You're not going to be perfect. But you should establish the pattern of correcting your life continually to the standard. It's like driving down the road. You don't get in the highway, set your steering wheel, and don't move. You're constantly adjusting back and forth because road conditions, winds, cross traffic, road curves, bumps, all kinds of things affect your trajectory. So you're constantly moving back. And that's what we do. We correct ourselves back Keeping our eye on Jesus Christ. Focus on Him. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your hearts. Close your eyes, not your hearts. I want you to do something that's really, really difficult. I want you, nobody looking at you and you not looking at anybody, I want you to compare your heart to the heart of Jesus Christ. And I want you to ask Jesus what you need to change. What does God want to see different on the inside of you so that you'll look more like Jesus Christ? Tim Ricosi is going to come up. He's going to lead us in a song called More Love to Thee. That's what makes the difference. People that love to exercise, they exercise. People who love to sit in chairs, they sit in chairs. People who love each other, they do things to help the other. When you love Jesus, really love Him, it's going to change your thoughts and change your life.